The podcast you're about to listen to may contain random lines from musical theater, terrible attempts at regional accents, and a sincere discussion about mental health. You have been warned. Are you ready to start singing with your feet? Formidable! Allez, c'est parti! Juste dans la joie Une joie profonde Nos cœurs, elle inonde Cette joie, elle vient du ciel Non, nous ne sommes pas fous Welcome to Sing With Your Feet The podcast in which we make every attempt To think about things differently The podcast in we get perhaps a little deep into the theoretical and philosophical weeds about topics which admittedly probably don't deserve a dissertation. Topics like, I don't know, Christmas trees and holiday parties. The podcast in which we use the golden rule as the plumb line to help us make the holidays bright. My name is Lily Fields, and I'm going to be your fairy godmother for the next half hour or so. I hope you had an amazing Thanksgiving, and I really hope that if you needed to, you were able to put a little bit of what we talked about in our last episode into practice. Or at least, you were able to start questioning the dread you might be feeling about a commitment and have started to tease out some of the deeper sources of contempt, anger, or guilt that are keeping you stuck in commitments that shouldn't be yours in the first place. The end of your holidays are filled with these kind of commitments, whether they're traditions that we never actually consented to but make us feel anxious anyway, or last-minute invitations that we feel obligated to agree to. Much of what makes up our holidays and makes it less than sparkling is all the crud that it dredges up from the depths of our hearts. There is so much cognitive dissonance around the holidays And I think I speak for a lot of the women of my generation when I say this. We want to create something beautiful and warm and bright and memorable. But the very fact that we desire it so much means that we will inevitably fall short of what we imagine. Our desire is to make things perfect for everyone, which means that our efforts will inevitably be perfect for no one. If you remember, my indulgent husband and I haven't, for as long as we've been married, ever had a television. I tell you this as an admission of being completely out of the pop culture loop, but I was recently listening to an amazing podcast, it's called Business Wars, and it took a deep dive into what has become, apparently, a pop culture phenomenon about which I had zero awareness whatsoever. It's called the Hallmark Christmas Movie. Oh, I felt like I was an alien peering in on this whole genre that just seemed so absurd. I was particularly intrigued as they talked about location scouting for these Christmas movies and how absolutely every single scene had to scream Christmas, like overdose on lights and stockings and snows and trees and hot cocoa and Santa hats. So as someone on the outside of this phenomenon peering in, what I see is that the ideal Christmas has been commoditized. It has a Christmas look and a feel of Christmas and a, a, a Christmas sound and an oddly predictable storyline. And as with anything, when we start comparing our lives to something that is intended as entertainment and to represent a homogenized ideal, we will feel like we are failing. 
We people pleasers walk away from nearly every single activity in which we were trying to please others by creating the perfect Christmas, feeling like complete and utter failures. So, Cinderella, the first and most important thing that I want you to hear from me today is this. You are not a failure. Whatever cultivated and curated version of Christmas that you are trying to recreate, stop comparing yourself to it. Your heart and your intentions are honorable, but you are missing something critical. In trying to create a perfect experience for everyone else, you have forgotten to love yourself first. The golden rule says, love others as you love yourself. But I'm telling you that you must start by loving yourself, knowing yourself, being in love with yourself. I've said it a million times before and I will keep saying it until it sinks in and starts becoming a reality in your life. As your fairy godmother, I feel that it is my duty to sit you down for a few minutes and have a very important chat about why we do what we do, and especially at the holidays. Up until now, you've been setting expectations. Expectations for the perfect tree, the perfect decorations, the perfect cookies, the perfect gifts, the perfect ugly Christmas sweater, the perfect, the perfect, I don't even, I don't even know what. I know what my expectations are, and they aren't always for a perfect thing. I want the perfect ambiance. I want a Christmas day on which my children don't get jealous of each other's gifts. I want to feel like I have made someone happy. I want to sit back for a few minutes and not feel like a failure. <laughs> Is that too much to ask? If this sounds even remotely familiar to you, uh, then we've got some things to talk about today. Part one, what we control. When we talked about articulating our ideal life, I talked about how critical it is that our ideal life statements be about who we are in our ideal life. If this is new to you, an ideal life statement describes the kind of person we are and the life we want to lead, and we construct them by answering the prompt, in my ideal life, I am a person who, and we do it over and over and over again until we have dozens of pages filled with the description of who we are in our ideal life. After we've gotten to the bottom of the well, of all the ways that we imagine ourselves being in our ideal life, we look for themes that recur in all of our statements. Some of these themes include parenting, or marriage, or relationships, but also themes like work, our bodies and our health, our mental health, and many, many more. The trick with these statements is that they are not about the other people in our lives. They are about us. For example, in my ideal life, I am a person who has children who are always satisfied with their gifts, while a dreamy ideal is not a valid ideal life statement because it is about who my children are and not who I am. The only person whose attitude we can change and whose behavior we have any control over, whose needs we can fully understand, is our own. This is important to remember because when it comes to the holidays and our dreams and fantasies of an ideal Christmas, we can very quickly hang our expectations for a successful holiday on the peg of someone else's experience, someone else's attitude, or their behaviors, or their needs. Part of loving ourselves, which is the precursor to being able to live out the golden rule, is taking the time to know what we want and what is under our control. Every single time we hinge our experience of a bright and merry holiday on someone else's experience, we're letting air out of our own 
tires. You are responsible for your attitude. You're responsible for your behavior and what comes out of your own mouth. There is no way that you can hold yourself responsible for how irritating your brother-in-law is or how overbearing your nephew is. You cannot control your mother-in-law's criticism or your boss's unrealistic deadlines. You need to unhook your expectations for yourself from all of those things. But you are responsible for how you do or do not take to heart your irritating brother-in-law's mansplaining or your nephew's endless monologue about the latest conspiracy theories that he's found. You are responsible for having perspective about your mother-in-law's criticism and not taking the bait when she wants to get a rise out of you. You are responsible for doing the work you can in the time that you have been allotted. The rest is not in your hands. Sometimes our own expectations get in the way. We have these big, beautiful dreams, and big dreams are exciting and motivating, yes. But big dreams can disappoint us. They can leave us feeling like failures. But again, as your fairy godmother who wants to see you live your ideal life and remember that you are not a failure, I would encourage you, for once, to dream small. Start with your own heart. Break down the building blocks of what would bring you joy this year and then seek out those little pieces. Do you remember when we started talking about the ideal life in the first place? It was because of Marie Kondo and her book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Before she tells you to grab a black trash bag to start decluttering your home of everything that doesn't, quote-unquote, spark joy, she tells you to spend some time writing about what your perfect life would look like. When I first did this exercise, I did it in a rather perfunctory way, because what I really needed was to start making space in my apartment. I didn't have enough space in my head to imagine what my ideal life would look like. What I needed at the time was to make space for my firstborn to sleep. Well, what I want for us to do, because this is going to be the key to everything else we talk about from now until the end of the year, I want you to really imagine what your ideal holiday would look like. Back in episode 34, that was called Navigating the Ideal Life, we talked about the difference between expectations and expectancy. Expectations are predefined outcomes against which we can pass or fail. Expectations will, more likely than not, leave us disappointed. Factors beyond our control are par for the course in this life, and very little ends up how we expected it to. Too many expectations will leave us feeling like a failure. However, expectancy is a fervent hope for a positive outcome. We cannot fail at expectancy. Expectancy is the ability to imagine a bevy of positive outcomes and hope for the greatest common denominator of all of them. This holiday season, my hope for you is that the greatest common denominator of everything you undertake will be joy, with a little bit of love sprinkled in for good measure. Do you have a moment to think about this right now? Because I would love to walk you through some questions to help you think about what joy and love would look like this year. The goal is going to be to find the nuggets of deep, life-bringing, innocent desire, the little building blocks of joy that will give you direction as to how you will love yourself first so that you will be fully equipped to love others this holiday season. Know thyself. I want you to take a moment and imagine your ideal holiday. Let the images pass through your mind like a viewmaster. You don't know what a viewmaster is? Then imagine a kind of slideshow. 
Maybe there's just one image, maybe there are two or three or 10. In those images that are clicking through your mind, are they situations that have already occurred and you're remembering them fondly? Or are they wishes that you have for an ideal holiday that has yet to materialize? In these different situations, are you alone or are there other people? I'm gonna confess something to you. <laughs> in a lot of the images that flashed through my mind, I was alone. Out of maybe the five images in my mind, three of them were just me. It's okay and it is healthy to want to have part of your ideal holiday be in which you take time alone to enjoy the ambiance. Not everything you do has to be to please other people, but we will get to that later. If there are other people, who are they? It might not be the people you usually spend your holidays with, and that's okay too. Remember, we're over here dreaming right now. Maybe they are people you lost touch with a long time ago. And if that's the case, is it the person that you're thinking of? Or is it a shared experience that made it so, so memorable? Is there anything of that shared experience that you could bring back into your life this year as you seek out joy in your holiday season? What does your ideal holiday look like? Does it look like garlands of light? Is it snow covered or is it under palm trees? Does your ideal holiday include candles? Is your ideal holiday showy and bright or is it subdued and discreet? Do you have all the trappings of a traditional holiday or do you do things differently? Are there a lot of gifts? Like a mountain of gifts? Or are there just a few gifts? Is your holiday homemade or store-bought? Next question. What does your ideal holiday feel like? I mean, like physically. What are the sensations you feel in your body? Are you cold but happy? Is there a roaring fire? And so you are physically toasty warm. Are you cozy under a blanket? Or are you wearing a slinky off-the-shoulder number holding a flute of champagne, freezing your butt off but happy? Are there hugs? Are you holding someone's hand? Are you wearing a fur coat or a down jacket? Flip-flops with sand between your toes? Next question. What does your holiday taste like? Does it taste like hot chocolate with marshmallows or cinnamon cookies? Does it taste like panettone or roasted chestnuts? Does it taste like mulled wine or fruitcake? Does it taste like cheap, hollow-foiled Santa Claus? Or does it taste like Ferro Rocher? What does your ideal holiday taste like? Next question. What does your ideal holiday smell like? Does it smell like pine or like roasted turkey? Does it smell like out of doors, like popcorn, like a fireplace or chopped wood? Maybe it smells like cotton candy. Does it smell like plastic toys or does it smell like expensive perfume? Does it smell like candles or mandarin oranges? Next question. What does your ideal holiday sound like? Is it the crackling of a fireplace, popcorn popping, bells jingling when the front door opens? Does it sound like a cat playing with ornaments on a Christmas tree or like a child shaking a wrapped gift? Does it sound like the laughter of children? Like the voice of someone you love that you haven't heard from, from in a long time? Is it the popping of a cork and the clinking of glasses? Is there music? Is it quiet? Is it so quiet? that you can hear your own heartbeat. Next question. How much thought and time do you put into your ideal holiday? Is it something you scour shops for for months looking for just the right decorations and just the right color? Or do you make do with what you already have? Do you set aside a weekend to set your ambience? Or an afternoon? Or just an hour? Do you have a list of people you give gifts to? Or do you just pick things up as you find them? 
Do you wrap your gifts the night before, or do you wrap them as you bring them home? Do you take several trips to the post office, or just one big one? On this same note, what about gifts? What is the gift-giving process like in your ideal life? In your ideal holiday, how would you select a gift for each person on your list? Would it be because they requested the item, or because it brings you joy to offer it? In your ideal holiday, do you pull out all the stops, or do you give gifts within a budget? And conversely, how do you enjoy receiving gifts? In your ideal holiday, do you know what your gifts are in advance and spend the entire season anticipating them? Or do you prefer the suspense of not knowing and the joy of opening up a surprise? There is so much to say on the topic of gift giving and receiving that next week's entire episode is going to be a treatise on gift giving and the love languages, which I hope will both be an interesting listen and an exciting way of looking at what can be one of the parts of the holidays that is so hard to get right. But next question, what kind of things do you talk about during your ideal holidays? Is it just like any other time of year or is there something special about your conversations? What I would like for you to do this week is to take a little bit of time and to break down those ideas that you have for what your ideal holiday would be like. What is your experience of your ideal holiday like? What is your experience of your ideal holiday like? And how can you, as you start inevitably planning for your end of year activities, build those activities with those little blocks in mind? Sometimes the smallest, most insignificant things are what can bring us joy. And if we can just prioritize them, our experience of the whole thing can change. I mean, sitting quietly, watching the Christmas tree with a cup of tea and after the kids have gone to bed alone with a cat in my lap, well, it costs me absolutely nothing. But the quiet, the lights, the coziness, those are the elements that I know will bring me joy. More moments like those mean more beads of joy on the necklace of my holidays. Part three, when mama is happy, (laughs) there is a little phrase that gets whispered between my children from time to time, which sadly is more true than I would like to admit. They like to say, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. They say it when they think I am not listening and when I have told them to do something that they don't want to do. It is stunning to me how much self-awareness they have. My children understand that their obedience has the power to keep things running smoothly. They know that doing what I ask them to do makes me happy. And when I'm happy, everyone gets along. But for some reason, I must have let it slip once when mommy ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And now they taunt each other with it. It usually will goad one child into do something he doesn't want to do, like putting his clothes in the washer or tidying his room. I hate this phrase because I don't like to think that I'm a tyrant, but I will admit, uh, I guess that I am sometimes. What I wish my children would say instead is, when mama is happy, everybody is happy, because that right there is the actual truth and not when it comes to just putting away toys and eating vegetables. As the mama in charge of my little family, my state of mind, my mental health has an enormous impact on the family. When I'm doing well, when I'm in a good space, and when I am actively taking care of myself, things go better than when I am experiencing a roiling volcano of cognitive dissonance within my own heart. Maybe this is just me, but when there is something in my heart that's awry, whether 
I'm not getting enough sleep, or I'm not feeling challenged enough in the work I'm doing, or anything is systemically wrong and not working when I do my daily check-in with my ideal life, when any of these are the case, my fuse is shorter, my attention span is limited, my ability to hear what my children mean rather than what they actually say, all of those things are impacted. Layer on top of this, the expectations that we have for ourselves to make sure that everyone has an A++ holiday, well, if we aren't doing well, it's just going to compound. During the holidays, we need to double down on taking care of our mental health so that we don't become the reason that ain't nobody happy. Loving our families isn't enough to give them a solid foundation. Loving them isn't enough to give them the sparkling holiday season that we dream of. We could give and give and give of ourselves until we are completely empty and still fail them. Because when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. On the other hand, to a great extent, when mama is happy, everyone is happy. We have so much power to set the tone in our families this holiday season. No, loving our families is not and it will not ever be enough. We must start by loving ourselves, by being gentle with ourselves, by being curious about ourselves and what we like and what we want for our ideal holiday. Remember, joy is contagious, even in little tiny specks. When we start asking ourselves, what would joy look like to me this year? We are manufacturing our own fairy dust. We are acknowledging that our joy matters and our joy has the power to impact the people we love. Elle me fait bondir Et vibrer, crier Elle me donne envie De chanter, danser Elle pousse à agir Donner, partager Et tout simplement De sourire, Part four, the love languages. Oh yes, that again. No, you're not imagining things. We have talked at length about the love languages before. It dates back to episode seven, entitled My Intentional Valentine. Back then, I was encouraging you to be your own valentine and to love yourself according to how you would like to be loved. It was a fun episode, and if you have a half hour or so, I would recommend listening to it again. You see, only when we know how to love ourselves and our unspoken deepest needs for loves are at least acknowledged by us can we start loving other people the way they need to be loved it's like we can't see what others need until we know what we need i have been married for more than 20 years and in many ways i am only just now learning how to love and be loved by my husband for a very long time i didn't love myself I didn't think I was deserving of love. I felt like a failure all the time. So I couldn't receive the love he was giving, which he was giving in the only ways he knew how. It wasn't until I started loving myself and loving myself in the ways that I needed to be loved that the lens changed and I could see what my husband was doing to show me that he loved me. And even if his act of love was cleaning the toilet and it's not something that I generally experience as love, I see that he's doing what he knows how to do to show me how much he loves me. We both had to learn how to speak each other's love languages, both to speak and to understand. But it started because I got to know myself. 
Oula. Before I get lost again on a tangent, here's the deal with the love languages. Not everyone experiences love or expresses love the same way. This concept of the five love languages was developed by Dr. Gary Chapman, and I highly recommend reading the book and taking the time to consider how we experience love and how the people we love experience love. But just as important is how we express love and how they express love. Once we're in a place where we love ourselves and can provide the building blocks of our own joy, we are able to, with great lucidity, become a student of the people we love. Becoming a student of the people we love is one of the most satisfying ways to be a parent and a spouse. Here's an example. My indulgent husband and I differ very, very strongly on one solid, rather important relational point. He believes that surprises are a good thing, and I personally detest surprises. This difference has only recently come to light in our relationship, and as with most other points of conflict that have arisen in our 23-year-long marriage, it has come to the forefront because of our scalawags. Neither of us are wrong, of course. He is right in one very practical way. What they do not know about, they cannot ask 4,000 times in three minutes, are we there yet about? I am right in a more contentment-focused way. Anticipating something is a way to enjoy an experience in advance, making the pleasure of the experience last longer by displacing its starting point in time. So, case in point, my indulgent husband is a teacher, so theoretically, neither of us is actually working during school vacations. Technically, however, we both have mountains of work to do. He has papers to grade. I have chapters to write. There is never not work to do. When we are very organized, we work out a work plan so that each of us gets one half of a day to work on as many days as possible during the vacation. What a working parent does during his or her work time is his or her choice. The job of the non-working parent is to get the children out of the house. Me, I'm a planner. It is a pure joy for me for days in advance to be able to plan out what work I will do when. Because I love what I do, my ability to plan is also a great pleasure. I love to plan what I'm going to do. I view those hours that I have to myself to work as gifts. Because I'm creative with inevitable ebbs and flows, the fact of knowing that I will have a period of time to work can shift the tide towards flow. It happened once that we were not particularly organized over a long weekend, and I had assumed that we would share the duties. And you know what assume means, right? <clears throat> I had tons of work to do. I was in flow, and I couldn't wait to get started. But I noticed that my indulgent husband hadn't mentioned anything about a work plan for that long weekend. Because I'm a people pleaser, and I had no idea how to advocate for what I really wanted, instead of actually talking about it, we ended up just all getting ready to go to a park. And I'll be honest, I was crappy about it. I wanted to stay home and work. I probably wasn't being enthusiastic about our preparations, but I did it. I was ready. We all went downstairs. We all got in the car. Everybody had their seatbelts on. And then my indulgent husband said, ha ha, just kidding. You're staying home to work. It's a surprise. So confession time. I am an ungrateful person. I am a terrible communicator. I am self-centered and miserable to live with. So instead of being happy and thankful to have the time to the work, I became irrationally angry. 
I was angry because I felt robbed of the opportunity to anticipate. I was angry because I hate surprises. I hate jokes. I do not understand them. I do not appreciate them. They always leave me feeling disrespected and confused. And this was no exception. My communication skills and self-centeredness are part of the problem. No one is a mind reader, not even after 23 years of marriage. But on the other side, in spite of the fact that I got to stay home and work, I was left feeling more unloved and more angry than I would have been had I gone to the park. This, of course, was not my indulgent husband's intention, but it was the result. The moral of the story is this. A kind gesture can backfire if it does not align with the needs and desires of the receiver. This is why when I say that being a student of the people we love can make us a better spouse and a better parent, we can start setting a precedent of loving people in the ways that they need to be loved. And as we saw earlier, as mamas in our homes, we have the power to influence the very beating heart of our homes. Our example is powerful. It's a powerful tool to set a new direction for our families. Our example speaks louder than our words. When next week we look at how the five love languages and gift giving meet up, you will see that it will begin by thinking about how we like to receive gifts. It always has to start with self-knowledge, self-examination. Lucidity is a virtue that will keep our fire burning throughout the holiday season. Part five, the challenge. All right, Cinderella, so let's recap a little bit. First things first, remember that you are not responsible for how other people think, behave, or speak. You are responsible for you and your attitude. By taking really good care of yourself and your mental health, you can measurably improve your family life. This is the very essence of self-love. And you have to love yourself before you can love anyone else. Secondly, you need to let yourself dream a little bit about what your ideal holiday would look like. Distill down those dreams to the little elements that make up each dream. The music, the lights, the conversations, the smells, the flavors. With every tiny element you're able to bring in, you're increasing your chances of having more joy in your holiday season. So really, what I'm asking you to do is to dream small. Dream down to the building blocks of your holiday and seek those building blocks out. Don't seek out some big dreamy Hallmark movie scene. Seek out the basic elements of that scene and incorporate them into your holiday. Lastly, as you get comfortable with what brings you joy, start considering the people you love. Become a student of the people you live with or the people you interact with at the holidays. Actually listen to what they say and think about what they have expressed in the past. Study the people you love and start thinking about how you can bring small bits of joy into their lives through what you discover about them. Listen, Cinderella, I know that on the surface I have said both a thing and its opposite today, namely that you are both responsible and not responsible for everyone's experience of the holidays. This apparent contradiction is what I talked about at the opening today when I said we were going to go deep into the weeds and get philosophical about celebrating the holidays. It is a fact that you are not responsible for making everyone's perfect dream come true on a macro level. You cannot hold yourself to a standard of perfection or make someone else's expectations your marching orders. In that, it is true that you are not responsible for everyone's experience of the holidays. It is also a fact that you are, as much as you probably don't think of yourself this way, you are an influencer. Your words, your attitudes, hopes, disappointments, those things influence the words, attitudes, hopes, and disappointments of the people in your immediate circle. Taking care of yourself, getting to know yourself, falling in love with yourself will fill you up and make it possible to have a positive impact on those around you. Please, 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 please unhook yourself from other people's expectations. 
love yourself first. Find the most basic, simplest elements of joy and pursue them. When you've done these things, it really does become easier to truly love other people. Whether you like it or not, you are the beating heart of your family. You influence the overall attitude of your family by your own. This is a big responsibility. By taking care of yourself, getting to know yourself, discover more joy and more love. And when you have more joy and more love, then it will spill over onto your family. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I am so grateful to you and I am pulling for you as you start dreaming small for this holiday season. I want to give a great big thank you to Seven Productions here in Mulhouse, France for the use of the song La Joie as the intro and outro of the show. Also, a huge thank you to Matt Kugler who sang it and to Claude Egwe who wrote it. This is your fairy godmother signing off. Just remember, it is never too late to start singing with your feet.